We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Wide receivers whose draft capital we'll have our eye on the most. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his awesome work leading up to the draft at Rotoviz. And Sean, the draft is this week. We're going to talk today about some guys that we might get pretty excited about if they go a little higher than people have been talking about who have those types of profiles where the, maybe the reason there hasn't been as much buzz is they're not expecting or expected to go as high as we'd like to see. Or another way of putting that might be that they're at risk of, of falling quite a bit. But some guys that have intriguing profiles that could be heavily influenced by where they land. We will um, also be doing a show talking about similar running backs before we go live. And then on Thursday night, we will be doing a live show with the ship chasing guys going all throughout round one. That's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, that'll be simulcast on the Rotoviz YouTube channel as well. And we're really hoping to get the Rotoviz YouTube channel up over a thousand subscribers. So if you're listening to this, go over to YouTube, click subscribe on the YouTube channel. And then Sean and I will be back Friday night as well to talk day two picks where there'll be a lot more, I think, skill position players landing, running backs and receivers. That should be a really fun show. I mean, Thursday night will just be kind of a party. We'll probably be having a few drinks and having a good time. Friday night, maybe a little bit more analytically focused, but also come hang out with us. Those will both be live shows. You can find it on the, the Road of His YouTube channel. So go over there, subscribe, watch our shows on Thursday and Friday night. It's going to be a lot of fun this week. But Sean, you want to start today with a listener question that we got. I did. And we've gotten some great readings and reviews again recently. Always appreciate that. I mentioned that because this question actually came through in one of the reviews, which was kind of fun. And just sort of a, as an extra little bonus this week, the most entertaining review we get this week, we will give a free Rotoviz rookie guide to. We're going to have our rookie rankings summit sunday night and we'll have new rankings mocks all kinds of cool stuff for you in volume three that'll be out shortly after the nfl draft there but ben we had a question from someone who left us a fantastic review we really appreciate that and it was a cool question so i wanted to start the show out with it it talks about deandre swift and what to do with him in dynasty he's still young and at the same time 
he's extremely highly valued, but there are a number of things that make his value volatile, right? He's building an injury history. And whether or not you believe that the injury history is something that has a predictive element, we know that that is in the mind of other managers in your league. The value change is going to be real, even if the actual impact on his body is not. He's rarely been trusted with a full workload, but you know, he's maybe one of the top three or four running backs in the NFL in terms of explosiveness and highlight ability. He's this incredible receiver. We talk from time to time about cashing in before the running back's value dips, and that's the question here. Should we do this given that it's likely the apex of his fantasy value? How are we handling a guy that we absolutely love, and yet fast forward 12 months from now, and you could be trying to get out at a much, much lower price? Yeah, he's really interesting. That's a fun one because part of the deal with Swift last year and then I think again this year is that people are discounting him too much because of the offense he's in when he still has quite a bit of potential. Maybe not as much touchdown equity as we'd like to see, but certainly has has shown real receiving upside with rushing upside as well. And that's what you're looking for, obviously. Um and so price is always so important that the cashing in thing for me, I, I always think of it in terms of the guys who have risen to like clear first round redraft value and Swift maybe should be considered on that level, but isn't always considered on that level and hasn't been yet to this point in his career. And so I can almost see a case for him not being the right guy to cash in on if he's still sort of undervalued relative to what he could provide you in like a league winning type season. He's only 23, turned 23 back in January. If he had a monster year, I think there's still room for his value to rise in, you know, in certain leagues. It certainly depends on how age uh, sensitive your league is. I could see going either way on this. I can as well. We have a situation here where I think that Swift is someone that you're both trying to buy and sell. And the price in your individual league is going to be very important. Also, your build is going to be important. We talk a lot about these trades and being a little bit build agnostic, being willing to make moves to sell, even when you're sort of cruising toward the championship game and moves to buy, you know, vice versa, all those types of situations to make sure you're always maximizing the total value of your roster. But one of the things that we're also looking at here is just that you're going to get some very different prices in different leagues. I think if you can buy that, there's a chance that he's the guy who wins it for you this year. And then after he wins it this year, you can sell. And so there are going to be some other managers also trying to do that. But Swift is, is one of my guys. I think that the Lions can take a step forward. I think that he can be really the star of the 2022 fantasy season. If that's the case, then you'll want him now and you should be able to sell him at, as you mentioned, that redraft type of price of 101 to sort of 104-ish next year. Based on him going in that range, you'll be able to get an absolute ton. He's just young enough to make that work. Whereas obviously we're seeing prices on players like Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara this offseason are not very good fantasy. But Kamara, I think, is a really interesting comp, and we've used that comp for Swift's profile where he finally had that sort of legendary season at age 25 where he got the 21 touchdowns and everything came together in 2020. And even though he was, you know, 25 going on 26, 
you know, I'm not entirely certain what his dynasty price was last offseason, but I have to imagine it didn't fall off a ton and it maybe even rose after that year finally hit. So that's sort of my thought on Swift is there's still some room for him to have if he has that type of Camara season in year three or even, you know, in year four in 2023, that his value could still be higher in the future. And that's not really true for a lot of running backs going into the third year. But he came in at age 21. He's still young enough that I think probably his value could rise. So definitely an interesting guy to to think about in terms of dynasty value. Definitely. So again, we appreciate that. Leave us a rating and review this week. We'll send a Rotoviz rookie guide to one lucky listener. And again, you guys have been absolutely fantastic. Ben, we're going wide receivers here. And one of the things that is interesting and fun is just how big wide receivers have gotten in the NFL draft. When we were recording Rotoviz overtime this week with Travis May, Colin was asking us for over/under on receivers drafted in round one. I jokingly went with nine because there are nine guys who have been attached to round one uh, in one way, shape, or form during this offseason. Now, obviously, it's not it's not going to be nine, but there are a lot of guys who could go that early. And one of the things that jumped out to me as I'm putting together my different research on teams and trying to get set on like where could guys go is that everybody needs a receiver right you have this situation here where there are 13 teams in the nfl that i have labels as either a desperate need or a serious need at wide receiver and then we have another big chunk who are moderate need and so a lot of potential landing spots and a class that's pretty fun and so then that takes our conversation to this next point of who are some guys that if they're drafted earlier than expected, we could really start to dream on them. This is kind of our favorite prospects to potentially take a jump. And every draft, you have a couple of names that you're listing for, and you're hoping they go in round two, as opposed to round six. Who who are our guys this year? Well, the first one that jumps out to me is definitely Justin Ross, who isn't, you know, is a huge injury red flag guy. I was just reading a whole article about his injury history, getting caught up on it. He had a little bit of a stinger in a spring game, uh, I guess in 2020. And when they were checking him out and doing some imaging, found that he had a spinal condition that was pretty rare and meant that he potentially would not even ever be able to play football again. They did a, a procedure that uh, as I understood it from this article I was reading, was not necessarily always the best way to approach that spinal condition, but was the, his best option to continue to play football, basically. And, and he was certainly consulted on it, but he sat out the entire 2020 season, came back in 2021, got all the way back out there, you know, took some hits, felt good, then hurt his foot immediately and played through a crack in his foot. And you have some quotes from, from, you know, the coaching staff at Clemson and, and some some other people that talked about his toughness and how he played through basically a broken foot because it was so important to him to play last year after getting back from the spinal condition and show that he could play. But he did play most of last year. He basically, as the season was not going the way that Clemson wanted, eventually they, they kind of called it quits and, and, and had uh, his foot operated on so he could try to heal up for the offseason. So there's some interesting injury red flags there. But you go back before the spinal stuff was discovered. As a true freshman, he gained over 1,000 yards, or I think he gained 1,000 yards on the dot, which was 
more than T Higgins. It was, it led the team. It was more than T Higgins, Hunter Renfro, Amari Rogers, Travis Etienne was on this roster as well. He was a star. He was a star into the college football playoffs where they won the national championship. I believe that year in, in, or maybe they lost. They were definitely into the national championship. This was, you know, the height of Clemson. And he was a star in that game. He made a sweet one-handed catch. What I think is so interesting is I, I've been doing some research on targets prior run. You go look at him. That freshman year, he drew targets on 36% of his routes, which is an obscene number on a, a sample of just over 200 routes. It's a very, very high number. Came back in 2019 and, and drew targets on over 30% of routes on a on his biggest college sample. He doesn't play in 2020. What's interesting is in 2021, even with the broken foot, when he came back, he was at 28.9%, still an incredibly high number, the type of like elite number that a lot of really good prospects never reach. Uh, that was a 249 route sample. He, all three of these seasons, he was at least at this, you know, 28.9 targets per route, uh, rate. And for his career, it was up over 30% targets per route. That's a number that, you know, I'm always looking at this targets per route, this ability to earn volume. His yards per target were not as high last year. His yards per route run as a, um, as a consequence of that, we're, we're not out of this world. They were as a freshman. I mean, he was absolutely elite in yards per out run as a freshman. His explosiveness wasn't quite there this past year, but again, he's playing through a broken foot. So this is a guy that I definitely believe has high level target earning ability. The fact that he was still doing that with the broken foot. Yes, it was his fourth year. We typically are looking at early declares and stuff, but he clearly has some you know reasons to to make an exception analytically, which would be number one, that he was extremely productive at a young age. And if he didn't have any medical issues, he would not have gone, uh, or, or he would have gone pro early. He would have been an early declare almost certainly. And then number two, the, obviously the, the medical stuff and why that meant that he needed to actually get back out there and play his fourth season, just to actually show that he could take some hits and things because it was this question of whether he could even play football again. So it is interesting. He has, you know, a, a decent enough final season, not amazing, but I'm looking at it from these per route numbers and saying this guy still has elite upside if he's healthy. The question is, will teams balk at the medical history, particularly the spine issue, which is obviously a scary one. And maybe it's just a thing where we should be worried about it as well, where, you know, he definitely obviously wants to still make it to the NFL. He had some quotes that were, you know, talking about the part of the reason he still wanted to keep playing. I mean, certainly there's got to be a love for football, but it's his best option basically to help out his family in these things. And that's very commendable, obviously. But maybe there is some risk with Ross that, you know, he he does get drafted and he gets these first contracts, but he never actually plays a full-time sort of NFL workload and, and gets back to that level. And the spine thing ultimately leads to a short career. I mean, I, I think that's a, you know, a real concern at the same time, the upside with him is that he's like a top five player in this class. If he didn't have that spine thing, right. I mean, he's, he was considered that good as a true freshman and as a true sophomore, he was going to be right there, a, a first round pick right there with the top of the class. And so it really becomes this thing of, is there some team out there or maybe multiple teams that are willing to take this shot and have him a little higher on their board than people have been mocking it, basically? If you look at a lot of the, the mock draft aggregate, aggregations and, and the different sources, he basically ends up falling in this like fourth round range, which is, to me, it's almost like this hedge where people assume that NFL teams are probably pretty concerned about his medicals. 
but they also think that there's enough talent there. And he was formerly thought of as his first round pick that we were, we think that someone's going to draft him, but I would suggest that he probably has a massively wide range. He's not going to be a first round receiver, but I think he could be a day two guy still. If somebody is really comfortable with his medicals and the fact that he came back in 2021 and played and thinks that elite upside is still there, that certainly he could go in, in round three, probably not round two, maybe late in round two. But this is a guy that if we saw his name called in late round two, I would be absolutely over the moon about targeting in rookie drafts. There's also, I think, concern that that fourth round number isn't really accurate in the sense that if every team is scared off, we might see him fall all the way to the seventh or something like that. It's just something that's completely unknown, but I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens in the draft with Ross. Well, this is a perfect one for this topic because I do think it's very reasonable to think that he might fall out of the draft altogether, right? You have multiple serious injuries and you have him doing some athletic testing recently that was not very good. And so you have people thinking, you know, number one, that lowers the ceiling and number two, if he's not healthy yet, again, you have this big unknown with the health, both the multiple injuries in the past and where he is currently. The flip side of where he is currently is that, yeah, I mean, he's not ready to go. And so those testing numbers you can kind of throw out. But the other reason that you can throw them out is he's 6'3", 205. And he was able to draw targets at will at Clemson, as you pointed out. In the one season, he did it and was a star. Another season, he did it with a broken foot and wasn't a star, but still drew targets like it was nothing. And that's what we're looking at in the NFL level. So we're probably not seeing him as this kind of player who goes out and scores, you know, 20 touchdowns or has a bunch of 70 yard receptions, but we could have him as a Keenan Allen type of player, someone who can get open on a lot of these targets that are actually difficult for NFL players to get open on can be that kind of possession plus type receiver. We've seen him make all of these highlight catches. You know, if you're willing to throw it around him, you know, he can twist, turn, make those plays and NFL teams need that. You mentioned the early breakout. That's the one that I'm most focused on. We do know that we want receivers to declare early. There's this massive difference in terms of, you know, whether they over or underperform their draft slot based on whether or not they do declare early. But the vast majority of that and the signal that you're getting there is whether or not it required that last season for the player to prove to the NFL that he should be drafted in that range. You don't want people who need that. That's one of the reasons why I focus so much on the early breakout because when a guy would have been an NFL pick after their true freshman season, then, I mean, that's the answer that you need in terms of that, right? Justin Ross, if those negative things that you outlined, if they don't happen to him, then he's competing to be the top receiver in this class. And this is one of the reasons why I think having a good approach to the draft process itself is very important for teams because, you know, you can scoff at the hit rates of players who go on day three but if you only have one pick in each of those rounds or you have less than one pick because you traded out of some of those rounds then you can't take shots at players like justin ross you can't bring them in and have them play in your rookie training camp you can't you don't you didn't draft them so you don't have them there to stash on your practice squad and see what they can do because it would not surprise me at all if Justin Ross comes out in 2023 and ends up competing with the top receivers in this class for year two. Right. And so that's the thing is it's, it's such a dangerous thing and we're conditioned to be concerned, but you can see a future where Justin Ross, we look back on this class and say, this guy was the wide receiver in this class that was clearly 
the value and we're almost like, man, there was way too much concern about these things. There was, you know, too much concern about the spine, given that he had come back and played in 2021 and taken hits and shown that he wanted to get back and played through a broken foot and shown his desire and all of those things. It's so hard to quantify at this point, whether that is, you know, the future that we're going to be in, where we're looking back and saying, man, how do people not want Justin Ross after what he did as a true freshman and all these things, just because of some medical concerns at the same time, you know, there have been similar players, obviously, and not obviously this exact issue because it is a very rare one, as I mentioned, but there have been similar types of red flags or concerns where guys had ceilings and those ceilings didn't necessarily hit. But, you know, I just did my second pre NFL draft rookie draft. I was able to get Ross at pick three Oh eight in a super flex. I mean, to me, that was sort of a no brainer. I actually traded back in to make that happen because I just think at that point, a lot of the the players you're looking at, there's probably going to be a player or two that went after that point in our, in the rookie draft, or at least a couple that are, definitely were worth those picks and, and and wind up being very good values. But a lot of those picks are also going to be misses. And there's that question of, you know, what do you get when you're right? And with Ross, that answer could be a legitimate superstar. I mean, it, it literally could be a legitimate superstar. If the foot thing has been part of the issue with the testing in this offseason and the spine, it really is a non-issue at this point after the procedure and sitting out the whole year, which it might be. We don't really know, and we won't really know for a couple of years probably, but there is this possibility, like you said, in 2023, we're looking back and we're saying Justin Ross was a top five receiver or top three receiver in this class. And you mentioned drafting him late in round three. I've done quite a bit of research on the types of players that come from outside the first round in rookie drafts and do have an impact later. And what you see there is almost all of them have some kind of outstanding trait that stood out and you could have picked and picked the players because of that, as opposed to just simply picking guys who are going to go on day three because your draft is progressing. And with Justin Ross, it's not difficult to figure out what that outstanding trait would be. Hey, Rotoviz fans. This is Dave Cabin from the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast, taking a minute to let you know that as a loyal Rotoviz listener, you can get 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RV Radio 2022 at checkout. It gives you full access to all of our content and tools. And again, that's RV Radio 2022 at checkout for 10% off a one year Rotoviz subscription. Enjoy the podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sean, who is our next receiver? You're going to lead this one off. He's a very interesting one from a production angle, right? He is. And in a lot of ways, this is Justin Ross 2.0, but in a slightly different part of his trajectory and without the seriousness of the injury element here but because he's in a slightly different portion of the trajectory he's actually rehabbed most of his value and yet i'm still hoping that we get a sign from the nfl that they agree with that and that would be george pickens we talk about these guys who were fantastic coming in against elite competition as freshmen and pickens is the other guy who really jumps out in that group he's a former top 10 overall recruit then he goes into georgia and immediately posts a freshman season with a 30 percent dominator rating so we're looking at these guys who are early breakouts one of the thresholds that we see that can be pretty helpful in kind of putting players in buckets is 20.5 right if a player breaks out hits that 30 percent dr threshold and we've got a lot on the side about why we look at that specifically but those guys outperform by a wide, wide margin. With Pickens, you're looking at a guy who did this you know, as an 18-year-old. And so that part of it really jumps out for me. But then we've got some production questions the rest of the way. Maybe not as special in his second season. Then he tears his ACL before his junior year. But Ben, you, you look at this and just like with Ross, and I think maybe even more so, it's easy to look at Pickens and dream of him as being somebody who, if things had gone just a little bit differently, he'd be a top 10 pick in this draft and a top 10 pick. I mean, the chances that anybody comes out and is Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson, I mean, those guys are just rewriting the history books in terms of what first year and second year wide receivers can do in the NFL. But but talking about Pickens as an elite prospect, right? And you look at some of these specific games that I think are interesting and his performance on the big stage in the Sugar Bowl as a freshman, he goes for 12-171. He goes for 12-175 and one against Baylor. In his bowl game as a sophomore, he goes for 7-135 and one against Cincinnati. We know about the 52-yard reception he had against Alabama in the national title game. And then one of the cool things here is that Pickens does have some character flags that are going to maybe worry some people. You know, you've got some of these pregame fights and that kind of thing. But the thing that jumps out, I think you have to really love, is that Pickens tears his ACL and fights to get back, even though he's going to be a little bit more of a role player, fights to get back to play with his teammates in the college football playoff and to be part of winning this national championship game. Now you can say, well, you know, almost anybody is going to do that. These guys who set out of the bowl games to protect their NFL draft status, there's a huge difference between sitting out a bowl game and sitting out a playoff game where your team is trying to win a national title. But it's cool that he fights to get back. He does make a contribution there. I like that element of it. And then, you know, we look at some of the things with the athletic profile and, you know, how 
does he look right now so recently off of this torn ACL? You know, puts up the 4-4-5-40 at 6'3", 195 pounds. You pull him up in the Rotoviz Workout Explorer, and you get C.D. Lamb as one of the closest athletic comparables. Lamb was maybe a little bit disappointing last year, but he's still one of those guys that we're very excited about. And if you were going to get a C.D. Lamb at sort of the 112, which I think is a, a potential range for Pickens in Superflex drafts, then you'd be very excited about that. But you'd be more excited about it if he goes, say, and pick 25-ish than if he goes pick you know, 50 to 60-ish. So that's kind of the range that we're looking at for Pickens. And then one of the reasons that we're kind of excited about him as a prospect is that we have a ton of picks in our Rotoviz Triflex rookie draft that'll be taking place soon over at the FFPC. So we have a lot of incentive or we have a lot to be excited about if the NFL draft raises the value of these guys who are currently kind of in that 110 to 206 range in pre NFL draft sort of rookie model. Yeah. And so Pickens is in that range. Other guys are like Sky Moore, Christian Watson. Watson's a guy that um, I don't want to necessarily speak for you, Sean, but I don't think we're as high on. But even if he ra- if his value is raised and he becomes like the 110 in super flex because he goes in the first round that just moves other potential potentially exciting players back to us. But we did, we did talk about Watson the other day, where if you were to land on a team like the chiefs, be hard not to be in on a guy like that, but Pickens very interesting to, to use sort of the same types of targets per out run numbers. As I was talking about with Ross, he had a 28% uh, targets per out run rate as a true freshman. Uh, his second season that fell all the way to 19.9%. So you were talking about how that sort of dropped off a little bit last season where he got back and he had the big play in the Alabama game. He only had a 32 route sample. He barely played in those final couple of games as a role player, like you said, but had shown a lot, especially as a true freshman, as you noted, that makes him very exciting and will make him all the more exciting. If we do get the, the day one capital on him, if he, you know, if he comes off the board Thursday night in, in round one, and especially if it's to one of those teams like the Chiefs that are picking near the end of the first round that have wide receiver needs and really potentially could be great landing spots, the Packers and, and several more. So Pickens is very interesting as well in that regard. A couple of guys with those sort of injury red flags. The other one that we are talking a little bit about that will be really interesting to see where he lands is David Bell. And he has an incredible production profile. He's kind of comp to the Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry types because he did not test well at all. He's another guy that is getting sort of third, fourth round buzz as you look at some of these uh, mock drafts and you look at some of the aggregation sites. Over at Grinding the Mocks, I think he's been looked at as sort of a fourth round pick throughout most of this process. Arif Hassan over at The Athletic, I don't know if he just released it or or just tweeted it out and updated it, but he has a consensus big board that has been pretty accurate over the past couple of years and includes 70 lists and he he aggregates some stuff. That one had Bell a little bit higher at uh, pick 80 overall. So that's now you're talking about basically the middle of the third round. If Bell went in the middle of the third round, we would have to get pretty excited that the NFL is not super concerned about his athleticism and, and be pretty in on this really impressive production profile, right, Sean? 
I think we would. You look at a guy who had a thousand yards as a freshman, very, very consistent throughout, averages over a hundred receiving yards per game for his career. You mentioned that Keenan Allen comp. He also pulls up someone like a Jarvis Landry in the box score scout. One of the things that you mentioned here in and look at is this idea of him with the size is going to be, I think, a solid possession receiver. Blair just re least his new random forest exercise where he's pulling out some of the different rules-based things that will help you hit on these receivers. And again, seeing that you know, guys who are over 210 translate to the NFL at about twice the rate as those who aren't. It's easy to focus on the lack of athleticism, easy to forget the fact that he's actually got the size. Now he's just over that threshold, but he's in that kind of range where especially if he's not that athletic maybe you're not worried that he's like this big statue the kind of player who is just never really going to fit in an nfl offense but you look at that type of player and that style player within the context of the production that he's put up and you know it's very intriguing and i i'm always pulled in by these guys because keenan allen was one of the first players who really popped in the breakout age research and the dominator rating research some of the stuff that we were looking at back in 2013 with Rotoviz, and then he was on some of those teams that did so well for me. So I, I just still have such great memories from that time period and Allen being a guy who fell and shouldn't have. And we look at Keenan Allen now and you know, it would be kind of strange. And again, this shows how everything is revisionist in terms of, you know, you look back, hindsight changes what we thought at the time. It's impossible with the way that our brains work as they're constantly rewriting things to not have that it seems hard to believe that someone like Keenan Allen who gets open at will would have been a risk player for his profile coming into the NFL. Now, I don't think that if, when we talk about Keenan Allen and Jarvis Landry, we're talking about obviously the upside outcomes for someone like Bell. And if he falls into, I mean, I'd really prefer to see him still in the second round if he's falling yeah. kind of deep into the third round, especially with like how many receivers probably would have been drafted before him at that point. You know, I would be a little bit concerned, but you know, if he goes in round two or he goes into a situation where you both trust the quarterback and there's a spot there, you know, as opposed to maybe late in round three where a team is just like, you know, we want to throw as many darts as we can. That's a an approach that I recommend. And yet at the same time for the player and for the sort of immediate production, that's not exactly what you're looking for. Yeah, but to your point with like the Keenan Allen comp, we look at again, targets per out run. I want to reference this again. Three-year player, all three years over 26%. So anything up over 25% and approaching 30% is, is going to be really strong. He was over 28% as a junior, increased each season in his ability to earn targets, just kind of steadily getting a little better. His yards per target were a career high in his junior year. His yards per outrun as a result increased each season. Not really that explosive uh, efficiency after earning the target, and that's going to be indicative of this type of player when you have this type of profile what you need is the really high targets per out run sort of outlier ability to really earn volume but that's what bell had even from a, a true freshman season through to his junior year was really strong targets per out run i mean th these aren't necessarily outlier rates i've mentioned some of the other guys being up over 30 percent but you know for for college level but if he can maintain uh, targets per out run well into the 20 percent at the nfl level then he'd be very good but I, I do think fit is very interesting in that regard because one of the things for guys like this is i, I don't really care that much about target competition but if he's not going to be going into a place where 
Well, I guess for a player like this, I do care about target competition is, is essentially where I'm going to go with this. I, I think he needs to be on a team where he's probably not competing in a given route with four other guys running routes with four guys that are good at earning volume. If he were to land somewhere that there's room for him to have a much stronger targets per route run than expected because not a lot of the other players there are target dominant types, that's going to be a pretty big bump for him. If he lands somewhere where there are some other target dominant types, even if he gets on the field, he might never actually get to the high enough targets per route run that he will need with maybe this potential lack of explosiveness and efficiency. So again, when we talk about the Landry and the Keenan Allen stuff, that's the upside where those guys had seasons where they were able to absolutely dominate targets. And that that can really be an underrated upside that people miss without the athleticism, you know, quote unquote athleticism that people tend to tie to this idea of upside, this, you know, athletic profile that, oh, this guy can score an 80 yard touchdown. I don't think people realize that there is as just as much upside in an ability to consistently earn volume and catch six, eight, 10, 12 balls in a game, which, you know, Landry and Keenan Allen were known for being able to catch double digit balls in individual games. And in PPR leagues, I mean, you're getting a monster game when you start getting into that number of receptions in an individual game. Bell looks like a guy who could be that type of producer. Like you said, is dominating rating. All of those things track with the, the target earning potential. It's just this knowledge that if he is only above average at earning targets, he's probably not going to make up for it with efficiency with some of the athletic concerns. So I do, I was right there with you where I, I had sent it over to you talking about this mid third round idea. I do want to see someone in the second round take David Bell and I want to see him land in a spot where I feel like he can earn a lot of volume. And there might be one other good receiver in that offense, but I don't want to see him land in a spot where there's two, three other good target earning options in an offense because, you know, he'd be good as a role player in that offense for that NFL team probably. But I, I don't know that he would have the type of target dominant ceiling that, he, you know, that's how he's going to need to statistically get there for fantasy. I think that's perfect. And I, I'm just always drawn to these guys where the skill element, they absolutely dominate. We have to consider and remember that being a wide receiver is about more than being fast. And those guys who can run every route absolutely perfectly and just have that instinctive ability on top of that to, to get open. You know, if your quarterback can count on you to be open and to be where he expects you to be every single play, then as the course of the game and the course of the season goes along, you get looked at over and over and over and it's sort of the opposite of a guy that I still like and I'm hopeful for, but someone like a McCole Hardman who doesn't have that element and as a result doesn't draw the targets that he needs to be an impact fantasy player. But I want to leave you with one last name here because he kind of jumped out again in Blair's research and, and got, you know, put his name in the back of my mind. That's Wondell Robinson. Hey, I kind of backburnered him because the weight that he tested out at the combine is really outside of what is usually successful. You're down there at the 178 and, you know, you pull him up and you see his comps in the box score. Scott, and you're like, well, there's some interesting guys. And you're like, well, I mean, those guys are all 10 to 15 pounds heavier than him still, because it's just hard to find someone who is in that projected draft slot range who's actually at that weight. But the reason that he's so interesting is that he had a ton of production this last year at Kentucky 
I mentioned Blair's research and the sort of checking all the boxes idea or element. And you know, one of the things that he has found with this, in addition to just all of Blair's research in his wrong read articles being fantastic, is it you know helps you pull out someone like a Justin Jefferson, and, and we we all want the next Justin Jefferson. Now, Wendell Robinson is not going to be that, but when you look at the guys who are checking the most boxes here in Blair's research, you see Traylon Burks and Drake London at the top. Those are some interesting names because you know people do have a very sort of love-hate relationship with them. You have Sky Moore. So those guys separate. And the next couple of players, Jalen Tolbert, he's somebody else that I'm definitely tracking this weekend, and David Bell. But then the next guy before a big drop-off to some of these other players. Now, I should mention the people who aren't in that group. That doesn't mean that I don't think they're going to be good. It's very important to understand the context within which People are doing things, and you know, you look at the Ohio State guys, it's kind of a, a different conversation there. But Wondell Robinson is the other player. He checks a bunch of these boxes and that he comes out early. He has this final market share of receptions over 40%. He has more than 110 all-purpose yards per game. Just someone who was utterly dominant in the 2021 season so then you think well you know what are some names that might be similar you throw them into the box score scout and you see some guys like paul richardson emmanuel sanders dd westbrook tylen wallace elijah moore and so you know it's, it's a mixed bag and one of the things that is very valuable i think in looking at the way that our tools in a variety of tools whether it's the prospect labs or the workout explorer or the box score scout is that they're giving you both the positives and the negatives right when we look at all of these different guys and just pull out the nfl successes then that changes how you know you trade it changes how you draft it creates uh, this sense of overconfidence and, and misunderstanding of what the range of outcomes are but when you have some of those guys, I mean, those are interesting names there. And the one that really jumps out, and then the other guy that I would mention him with sort of stylistically a little bit, we would love if Robinson could be sort of a poor man's Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore, not quite the same size, even though those guys are not big and not quite the same peripheral athleticism, but somebody who does have some speed and was very, very productive last season. Yeah, the targets per route run on him track as well, over 30% as a true freshman. It was only an 80, 182 route sample, but that's decent size. Was up at 37% in 2021 in that big season that you mentioned. So he is definitely another one to keep an eye on in that um, athletic article from Arif Hassan that I mentioned. He is slotting in at 84th overall, just behind where David Bell is, another guy who could feasibly wind up in the second round looks like second or third round based on, on that, you know, the 84th would put him in the third round. Right. But we'd like to see him in the second and, and see someone really commit to him. And that might be a really interesting, I mean, certainly from a draft capital standpoint, it would be very interesting. It might be uh, very interesting as well. If the landing spot is right and all of those things look as promising uh, as you know, we hope they do. So anyway, that will be another guy to track. And again, we'll be tracking all of these guys live. We'll be doing it on day one with the guys from ship chasing. I mentioned live on YouTube. So come hang out day two, Sean and I will be on the road of YouTube channel all through round two and three talking about the, the, the different landing spots, what the draft capital means for all these types of players, 
a lot of exciting names in this range, but you'll basically get a feel live for where we would maybe be taking these guys in rookie drafts. So if you're playing Dynasty, if your rookie draft's going to be coming up right after the draft, this will be a great opportunity to get our initial reaction uh, as the draft's happening. I'm, I'm really excited. I love watching the draft with, with buddies and, and chatting, and I'm super, fun, uh, super excited to be doing the first three rounds with you this year, Sean, and being able to talk through all the picks. It's been a while since I've looked forward to something this much, so it should be a ton of fun. There's even like this tiny chance that we'll do something on Saturday morning for day three if we are not completely sort of passed out on the side of the road from uh, not from the things you might be thinking, but just from <laughs> the exhaustion of having done the first couple of days of the draft. There. Not so. because Justin Ross went in the second round, because I might be passed out on the side of the road if that happens. There you go. There you go. We're we're looking for Justin Ross there. He's He's going to be 100% on the Stealing Bananas rosters. But that'll do it for us today. We appreciate you guys being with us so much. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Make sure you subscribe to Stealing Signals. It's the absolute best newsletter in the industry. If you want a discount to Rotoviz to check out all of his contact, I'm doing all the metrics series on running backs and wide receivers as we head up to the NFL draft. And obviously, we'll have a bunch of post-draft content showing you you know, kind of where we think people should be after it all pans out. So that'll be a lot of fun. You can get a 10% discount by using the coupon code RVRADIO2022 at checkout. Join us over at Underdog, where you can get a 100% deposit match using the code ROTOVIS. I like that one because it's the easiest for me to remember. And then we mentioned a little contest, videos, rating, and review. We'll give somebody a ROTOVIS rookie guide. Subscribe to the feed. We'll see you guys next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.